and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and I am streaming live from Team Needham Abode, actually, in our podcast room. And I am super excited to have Debbie Neese on our podcast today. She is going to be talking about how her son, Brayden, was vaccine injured. And, you know, as always, um, our goal is to educate individuals and you guys make your own choices. Don't trust us. Don't trust me. Don't trust Debbie. Do your own research. But it's pretty con- compelling, um, her story about what happens to her son after having um, a DTAP <clears throat> vac- vaccination and what happened before and then what happened after. So um, you don't want to miss out. Stay till the very end and we'll give you some more information about how you can follow Debbie and um, Braden's case. So Debbie, Welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. And I'm excited to have you on and hear your story, although it be a sad story. Um, at least now we have somebody that um, is fighting um, for, you know, for medical freedom. And, you know, I will say one thing about COVID. I was talking to you off the air beforehand is, you know, my wife and I are two pharmacists that, you know, we were completely pro-vaccination before COVID and we started questioning the COVID vaccine. And the thing that really, really made us question it is when they started recommending the COVID vaccine to pregnant women. Mm-hmm. And in pharmacy school, we are taught as pharmacists, never, ever, ever give a drug to pregnant women until appropriate studies have been done to show there's there's no risk. And that's when we just threw up a red flag and it's like, hmm, we smell a rat. Mm-hmm. Well, fast forward three or four years later, and I question all vaccines. Um, I think people should make their own individual choice, but I think you ought to do your own research. Um, and, you know, it's interesting how we've been able to connect with a lot of people that have had flu vaccine interaction, you know, flu vaccine um, interactions, um, RSV vaccine interactions. My son was one of them. Um, and now um, Tdap, you know, which we're taught, oh, is one of the safest vaccines, right? Um, so tell us about your son and what happened after a, um, a Tdap vaccination. Okay. Well, Braden went in, he was um, going in for a football physical on May 14th, 2021. And he was 11 at the time. And we went in to do a football physical. He passed everything with flying colors. He took a urine test that day. Um, he passed everything. They measured 10 things on that urine test. And the most you know, alarming, well, they he tested negative for glucose and ketones. And he tested negative for any liver issues, kidney issues, 100%. They cleared him with a physical form. I said, oh, wait, before I leave, can you give me the seventh grade required shot? Because I've been getting paperwork in the mail, the district sending out, he needs a vaccine. So I don't have all of his, I mean, I don't have it with me. And so I said, they said, well, that's the Tdap. And they said, you know, we also can give him the Menectra shot, which I said, I don't know what that is. And they said, it's for meningitis. And I said, okay. So before we left, after he tested negative for glucose and ketones, about five, 10 minutes later, they came in, gave him his vaccines. We left that night. He didn't feel good with his stomach ache. And that was on a Friday at like 3.30. That weekend, he said, mom, what does a heart attack feel like? And can you feel my chest? Put your hand right here because you can feel it. It feels like it's racing. So I was like, oh, Braden, you're just going through puberty. Didn't think anything of it. About 14 days later, well, he started acting a little weird, like drinking a lot of water. But 14 days later, he started vomiting. 
And we went to Disneyland uh, Memorial Day weekend and he was just vomiting in the, at night. And I was like, gosh, maybe it's because he had to wear a mask all day. Um, and then a total of 43 days later, um, he was so drinking so much fluid. I just happened to have a glucose monitor and I, I you know, took his blood and it said high. And I don't even know what that means. So I looked up a Google and it said anything high is over 600. And I said, what? So I took him immediately to the emergency room and they ran tests on him and he was 614 blood sugar. And they immediately got him into the hospital and he was in tachycardia when he arrived. So he was in diabetic ketoacidosis, tachycardia and a 614 blood sugar. And he had a 12.4 A1C. So I was like, gosh, he was just fine six weeks ago. There's nothing wrong with him. We get in an ambulance, we go to Sacramento, we go through the whole learning how to give his insulin shots and everything. And I get back and I go to the doctor to get a referral to an endocrinologist. And they showed me his record and said, this is impossible. He tested negative for glucose and ketones prior to getting those. I go, you're right. I, I said, she, she said he was just fine when he was here. I said, I know exactly. And I said, that's right. He got those vaccines minutes after he tested negative. And then all went downhill. I mean, it was just like one thing led to another. And he was in, um, yeah. And then the next thing I know, 43 days later, he's the new type one diabetic. So after that, then I started researching what is a vaccine injury. And I started researching what is, um, how do you, what happens when you have a vaccine injured person? I didn't even know what an adverse reaction was. So then I contacted, I um, contacted my lawyer and we started doing some paperwork and getting out there and getting our case together. And then that's when I realized, wait a second, what kind of preventative do we have before vaccines? And I looked and all I saw was doctor patient discussions, vaccine information statements and uh, V-safe app, which was after. And I thought, well, if Braden got a urine test prior, why can't other kids and parents be offered the option to have a urine test and blood work prior to getting those vaccines? So in case your son or daughter or anybody has an adverse reaction, you have a baseline in their file to refer to in case, you know, to go back and say, hey, they tested negative for glucose and ketones like Braden did. And so I added that vaccine bill. I said, okay, I feel like there was no vaccine safety bills being offered or trying to be you know, implemented in, in the system. And so I thought I'm going to write a bill and I wrote Braden's bill. And I said, on behalf of like, basically what happened to Braden, these children or parents should be offered a urine test or blood work prior in case of anything, Guillain-Barre, um, oh gosh, there's, you know, uh, Epstein, you know, all those adverse reactions. And so, and I have heard from several parents after that now th that type one has been in question since, eighties, late eighties, nineties, there's been cases. And then I went on VARES. I didn't even know what VARES was. I looked up all these cases and, and it's just, and then I looked up the increase since 2017. It's like a 30% increase in type one diabetes. And this is, this should be the question. When I checked into the ER, I feel like I should have had a question. Have you had a vaccine recently? Nobody asked me that. And I was like, no, that should have been one of the questions. So, and there's no type one. So I immediately had a COVID antibodies test done. As soon as I got home from the hospital, I had his ANA done. I had his DNA done. I have a heavy, a heavy metals test done on him. I was, I was, I was adamant and I'm sure, you know, I'm still, you know, I just wanted to prove that that COVID, he didn't have COVID. He was negative prior, a week prior, he was a negative in the ER and he was a negative for antibodies, you know, a week after the ER too. So yeah, it, it makes me wonder, as a pharmacist for 30 years now, almost, um, it makes me wonder how many 
mm-hmm. young children have been diagnosed with type one diabetes and it was caused by a vaccine. Yes. I, I have family members that I question about that. Yes. And I just, because of your case, I'm going to actually ask mm-hmm. uh, my family member if there was any correlation or any, you know, did, was type one diabetes and a vaccine, was it close to the di- diagnosis when you got the, got the vaccine? And, you know, one thing that was lucky about you is that you had that um, sports physical. That's the yes. only reason you had the urine test. And you know what's Otherwise, yes. you're just going for a well check and all they do is just start shooting up kids. Yep. And you know as well as I do, Debbie, Big Pharma does not want them to be tested before they get vaccines. You know they don't. So they're going to do whatever they can to stop that. They don't want a baseline before vaccines because they don't want to they don't want any kind of proof that the vaccine could have caused some kind of side effect. Yeah. And which that's sad to me. And it's almost like, how could you not want it? You have these kids now who their lives are shortened. I mean, the average type one diabetic is especially a male is 11 years shorter already just because he's going to have kidney issues. All the, I mean, could possibly, and they can't go to the, you know, well, I don't know exactly, but piloting, I mean, it does, it changes their life. Absolutely. Insulin for the rest of their life. Right. And think about that. You said insulin for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. Who sells insulin? I know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, drug. I, I early on in in COVID, we I interviewed a guy called Sam Tran, Tran, Sam Tran, and he escaped from Vietnam when he was like seven or eight years old from communism. Mm-hmm. And when COVID started happening, his parents said, "Sam, this is like communism all over again." And so Sam was very skeptical. And I had him on my podcast early on, and he used to work for Big Pharma. And he got out of working for Big Pharma many years ago because it was so unethical. And he told me early on on the podcast, this is like early 2020. He says, oh, no. And remember, I'm a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. He says, oh, no. Big Pharma gives drugs to create side effects so later they can give drugs to treat the side effects. I'm like, eh, I, I don't know if I'm buying it. I totally buy it now. I look back at the history of drugs coming out. And it's like, wow, that was a drug to come out to treat a side effect of another drug. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, you know, that that's what big pharma does. Now, you mentioned the increase of type 1 diabetes in the 80s, since the 80s and the 90s. I'm going to put you on the spot. What happened in the late 1980s when it comes to vaccines? Well, that's when they, they, they wrote the law in 1986. Ronald Reagan signed the law that said they're not liable for any vaccine injuries. So now you have to take your case through the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Fund, and then you have to get a result from them before you can even take it to civil to go into like malpractice or the vaccine companies. And the average time is, I believe, five to eight years or something to get that taken care of as well. Yeah, of course. It's a legal system. Yep. So it's- 1986, right? Something like yep. that. Mm-hmm. You look at a lot of this stuff. It's like, what's the correlation? Oh, 1986. The yeah. law was signed that that, uh, that basically protects vaccine manufacturers from any kind of liability. Yep. And then all of a sudden, our vaccine schedule goes from six childhood vaccines to, by the time they're 18, like 98 vaccines. Yeah. Gee, well, what, what, where did that come from all of a sudden? They don't, they don't care. If there's no liability for them, why do they really care? They just want to make money. And I, what, what baffled me is being down in California at the time, I was looking at all the bills that were going in. It's required to have this. It's now required to have this, or they're trying to pass this and this and this, this. I want to say there were like six or seven bills requiring vaccines and all that, but there was not one safety measure no. put on the vaccine. And that's when I thought, this is, this is not right. 
there, there needs to be more vaccine. That's when I started looking at the CDC website and I started looking at all these vaccine safety measures. And VSAPAF is after you're going to report your side effect after your vaccine. And then the doctor patient discover discussions and the average, you can get nine vaccines in one sitting, right? But the average doctor t- spends a minute and I, don't, I think it was like a minute and 50 seconds talking about these vaccines. I, I read it in JAMA. And um, that's another thing I didn't even know about JAMA existed. So I researched that and I read that and I thought, so you're telling me that you can go over nine vaccines, a VIS form front and back in less than a minute or, or less than two minutes. I go, that's not fair to the parent, to the, to the guardian who's bringing in that child and giving them those vaccines. You need to straight up offer them, hey, before I give you this, would you like a urine test or would you like peace of mind if we put that in your child's file for like blood work or something? And then uh, it also indicates, here's another signal. Say, for example, you get something alarming back on that urine test. You might postpone the vaccine. So it's another great benefit of the safety. You can postpone it. Say, you know, they have liver, the high liver enzymes or something or, or, you know, levels, or they do test positive for glucose and ketones prior to the vaccines. So then you can postpone the vaccine because that could cause even more, aggravate the adverse reaction that, but in Brain's case, he tested 100% negative, which is also interesting because the nurse said Braden had a 309 average all the way back to March because that's what they said when he got to the hospital. And she said when he would have tested plus three on that urine stick, he wasn't even a plus three, a plus two, a plus one. <laughs> he was 100% negative. And it was a fresh urine test. He did it in there and they weren't expired or anything. I made sure I took a picture of the bottle and everything when I went back in. So... Mm-hmm. Powerful story. I will tell you, as my wife and I, both pharmacists, as as pharmacists that were the first group of pharmacists to be trained in Washington State to administer and prescribe vaccines. And of course, it was a pilot program in the nation. So people could increase access by pharmacists giving vaccines and we were going to save the world. And boy, we were just going to make people so healthy because we were going to vaccinate. And my wife and I were drinking the Kool-Aid. We really, we really were. And we look back and we think that like the side effects you're talking about, we weren't trained about that. Not at all. Mm. We weren't, we were never told to watch for type one diabetes. We were told to maybe watch for a little bit of fever and chills after the vaccine. Actually, the main side effect of vaccines is shoulder pain pain from the shot. That's really what it is. And then I think about, but, but okay. So I had one kid that had to have a bowel resection after a vaccine and then I had another kid that really felt like crap, had chills, fever, and we had to give him Tylenol and ibuprofen. And I mean, I think everything ended up being okay, although who knows what it causes later in life or even short term what it caused um, to his immune system. But do we really want to give drugs that are going to make somebody sick? And, and, and that's one of the side effects. They will say, well, they might feel a little bit chilled, fevered, and, and, you know, and have some chills and fever and just, you know, just give them Tylenol. Do, do you really want to give them a drug like that? Seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, considering I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay, Debbie. Yes. Okay. So of all the vaccine preventable de- diseases, you've talked about meningitis. Um, we haven't talked about, we talked about COVID. Um, mm-hmm. We, I don't think I mentioned flu on, on the air, but those are caused by viruses or bacteria, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. How long have those viruses and bacteria been around? Decades, I'm sure, forever. I mean, like thousands of years. Thousands, yes. Have they been around longer than vaccines have been around? Yes. Yes. Okay. 
Okay. So ask me, just answer me this question, Debbie. I ask this to healthcare professionals. I ask it to lay people. If those viruses were going to wipe the nation out or wipe the country out, wipe the population out, how come they didn't do it a thousand years ago? Exactly. That's a great question. That's just irrational. I'm not telling people, I'm telling people to do their own research, Yeah. but that's just a rational question. And COVID-19 is a coronavirus. That's all it is. Sure, it might have been manipulated by man, but all viruses will revert to its native form. So even if we did manipulate a little bit, it always reverts to its native form. So it's not as deadly because mm-hmm. if, if a virus kills its host, it can't replicate anymore. So mm-hmm. so how long has our body been fighting coronaviruses? Probably thousands, thousands, thousands of years too. Polio? Yep. Now – Sure. Are there people that got crippled by polio? Absolutely. Are there people that got put on an iron lung by polio? Sure. Now, there's some other details we probably don't know in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but how many people got sick from the IPV vaccine, the live polio vaccine? Lots of people got polio syndrome from the vaccine. And we and we do know that. That's why we quit giving it. And we gave we gave the uh the um I'm sorry, it was the OPV, which is a live vaccine. Then we started giving the IPV, which is the, the attenuated vaccine. Um, and, it, it, you know, think about what we did during polio. If you've heard the story, mm-hmm. my parents would have been young elementary school age then. And I talked to my grandparents. Um, they have since passed away. But during the polio epidemic, all Americans were going to get crippled if they went outside. They're going to get crippled or go on iron lung. Mm-hmm. So they told people they, – they, Parents were keeping their kids inside. Mm-hmm. And then magically, two years later, there's a vaccine to save everybody. Gee, that sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. And that's the first one I questioned was polio. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, we have been duped about vaccines. And I, like I said, I, am, I want people to do their own research. Please do your own research. I can just tell you, to me, it doesn't make sense. The most sense it makes is to have a strong healthy immune system in the first place. I agree because I always tell people, this is my story. You make your own decision, but why not put this extra safety measure? I had a parent text me the other day. What was it that you suggested we do before that Tdap? I said, get a urine test or a blood work. And they did it. I mean, if I have one person texting me or two people, text, I feel so excited that I can help them just safety wise before. And I didn't even know that Tdap was tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. And Magnectra has four different vaccines in it. So that day Braided got two combo vaccines. So we got the one with serogroup A, B, I believe it was A, B, C, and Y or something like that, which I also had his tetanus titers done, which I didn't know were titers as antibodies because I wanted to prove so immediately after we got out of the ER, I did titers on Manectra um, and for all his serogroups. And he was like, skyrocket all he needed right. was a 0.01 and he was like 19.0 on sarah group c but on tetanus he need all he needed was a 0.01 i use and he had 3.9 3.9 i mean he was like thirty nine thousand percent over the tetanus level so then i called uh, portland science health science up there and i said what is the overuse of T? Like, can't, can't you get too much in your body? Because all the stuff that's in those vaccines, like aluminum, blah, blah. And he goes, sadly, we don't have a level that cap. You just have a baseline, a 0.01. And then I was like, again, okay, well, you have a baseline to, to say that you have enough antibodies in your system. Why can't you get a baseline before you give that vaccine for that child? Have something to refer back to. 
Uh, you know what else was interesting in the ER report? His alkaline phosphatase, I believe it was alkaline phosphatase. Anyway, it was almost a thousand. And my doctor's like, I've never seen it that high. So I started researching that. And it says that that, uh, that binds, the phosphate binds to aluminum. And aluminum is what is in those vaccines. Right, right. <laughs> they, he had ne they've never seen it over a thousand. And it was like 900. Well, they, he said the average was like 200. I said, well, the day brain was in the ER. He was also in tachycardia. Is that normal for a DKA patient to be in tachycardia? And I haven't found that out. But from my research, it says I haven't heard, seen that. That's a common I thing. Know. I mean, as a pharmacist, I'm going to say no. That's what I've but read. No. He had so much else going on. And by the way, Alkfos, alkaline phosphate oh, yes. is a liver enzyme. That's it. Mm -hmm. Right. And the liver is what detoxifies our body from toxins. So, so his alkfos was really high because his liver was under a lot of stress to try to, to detoxify from everything he just got from the shot. Not just the aluminum and stuff in it, but everything because his immune system got hit really hard. And then would it so on his urine, he was negative for any liver issues. So I mean, wouldn't that have shown if you're if your liver 43 days later is, is at that huge level? I don't know. Wouldn't it, it was negative on the urine test? I went and looked up everything that was tested that day, and it was liver en enzymes and kidney, you know, UTI infections. Uh, and, and, and and anytime you have liver issues, it's because, like for instance, alcohol. Alcohol is something that can raise your alkfos because alcohol is a liver toxin. Oh. So you know. I, if your alkfos is high, it means you're not, you, you have some kind of toxin in your body that your liver is trying to detoxify. So the vaccines. I would think so. Here's, here's, here's a question I want. And I would love for anybody to answer this question, whether they're a scientist, whether they're a virologist, whether they're pro-vaccine, um, anti-vaccine. I, I just want the answer. Show me, first of all, show me the double pl blind placebo controlled trial of any one ingredient from a vaccine. So you talked about diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis for D DTP. First of all, I want to I want to I want to see a study where there's a double-blind placebo-controlled trial, no vaccine versus the diphtheria vaccine only, okay. and I want to see that in a trial and to see see how much it prevented disease. Mm -hmm. Then once you show me that, this is what I want. I want to see. I want to see the study where where it shows the side effects versus benefits of DTP vaccine. Mm. Guaranteed, there is no study on these combination vaccines whatsoever. There's just not. That's I know true. there's not. Yeah. yeah. No. And here's one of the things that's all, I think it's interesting. Hmm. Being a pharmacist, I kind of know about drug therapy. <laughs> there's a lot of drugs that are taken off the market that have been on the market for many years, and they're combination drugs. So there's two ingredients in them, but the two ingredients weren't shown to be safe and effective together. And it, so the FDA takes them off the market. So because what about, oh. what about DTP? I mean, seriously, just that, ask yourself, what about MMR, measles, mumps, rubella? Has there been a double blind placebo controlled trial using MMR vaccine and what the side effects are versus the benefit? First of all, I don't even think there is one on measles. Because there's mm -hmm. no double-blind placebo-controlled trial on any vaccine that I've ever seen. Okay, mm -hmm. so now at all three of them in there, MMR. Yes, but you know, we give it to kids like it's candy. Uh huh. And there's so many adverse reactions to that MMR seizures and all that afterwards.
but you made a good point. I also, when I started reading the, um, the labels, the package inserts, the adverse reactions from Manectra, and all, clearly on their package insert, it says when given together with Tdap, the adverse reactions are higher when given together, 30 or 54% versus 36. So why would you even suggest giving those why, why, together? Right. When the well, I will tell you, I will tell you, I was trained, Jan and I were trained by the CDC's vaccine program. They were by their vaccine expert. Mm -hmm. And I mean, over and over again, Debbie, they would say this, if in doubt, vaccinate. If in doubt, vaccinate. If you don't think the person's going to come back to get their vaccine, then vaccine them early. I am not kidding you. Those are words from the CDC. If in doubt, vaccinate. Because you know, we got to protect all these people. So I want to go to a question from one of our viewers. And I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna comment on this, and I'll and I'll I'll let you have some commentary too. Okay. So Lee Pence, one of our lo uh, loyal viewers, is there any information available concerning flu vaccine or other vaccine deaths compared to COVID vaccine fatalities? Well, that's a great question, Lee, and thank you for asking. So, um, the data is out there, but it's really hard to gather. But I will tell you that after talking to many, many people, and I can tell you this, I don't know of one person that died from COVID. I know of at least four, maybe five people that died from the COVID vaccine. Mm -hmm. I'm, ju I'm just saying that, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, is there death listed as COVID vaccine? No, but it's just completely suspect, okay? And you guys have seen it. You guys have seen the myocarditis, these young athletes, mostly male, that are dying from heart attacks just all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. It's up over a thousand percent. Um, so the data is out there. Is it being reported to VAERS? Is the government commenting on it? Probably not. I'm going to comment about the flu vaccine. Here's what we do know about the flu vaccine. This data is out there. The flu vaccine at best on a good year, if they're going to play the Ouija board and decide what strain's going to get us sick this year, because that's basically what they're doing. They're basically playing the Ouija board saying, hey, what strain's going to come across the ocean this year and make everybody sick? I mean, I'm being kind of facetious, but it's true. It's like voodoo medicine. Really? They're going to guess. Okay. At best, if they guess the right, the right strain, the flu vaccine is 50% at best that it works at best. So are you willing to take the risk that you could, you know, have side effects from the flu shot or just take the risk that your body has been treating, has been fighting influenza for our bodies as humans have been fighting influenza for thousands of years. By the way, it's a rapidly mutating virus, just like coronavirus. But yet we're going to guess every year what strain is going to go around the nation. I mean, seriously, that is voodoo medicine. We're going to guess. So that's my comment on, on the flu vaccine. And that was one of the vaccines I actually started questioning years ago before COVID because we were like trying to guess what kind of strain was going to go around. And I have a comment on that when you're done. I have a comment on that. Yeah, I want to comment on that too. So why are doctors, why do doctors push the flu vaccine so much? Ask your doctor how they get reimbursed. Ask their doctor if they get reimbursed better by insurance companies, mostly CMS, which is Medicare, a federal government program. Ask them if they have a higher reimbursement rate, depending on what their percentage of vaccinated patients are. If they say no, they're lying. So that's one reason I would never go to a doctor that bills any insurance because the insurance companies control them. I go to doctors that choose to opt out of those places so I can get the best information between me and the doctor. Go. 
Oh, I had a friend who she works in the medical field. She was like an x-ray technician. She went to, she got her flu vaccine, went to work, was feeling off that day, kind of passed out, ended up, and she had gear on beret. And then she was like paralyzed for, I want to say a year. And I asked her, I said, did they ever find out? And the doctor said it was because of the flu vaccine. She, had I will tell therapy. You. she was paralyzed. Yep. And I will tell you as a pharmacist, I was taught to just kind of foo-foo those off. Mm-hmm. And I know somebody that had Guillain-Bray and, he, and he, I think he's passed on now, mm-hmm. but um, he said it was from the flu vaccine and I, I, I just didn't believe it. And, and, and I think, I think as a healthcare professional, when you're so indoctrinated and you've been part of the scam, when you kind of literally been an accessory to the crime, you've got a little bit of, you want to, you don't, you don't want to tell yourself that you actually caused part of the problem. Mm-hmm. So you have some cognitive dissonance from it because it's like, no, I don't want to be an accessory to the crime. And so then you finally wake up and then you realize, holy smokes, what was I doing to my patients? Um, another thing is when you look at the adverse reactions on Tdap and Manectra, it says that they have um, hypersensitive reactions. And so I was like, well, what's a hypersensitive reaction? Because a normal, I mean, you just see that and you don't know what it is, right? So I look it up. I look up the four types of hypersensitive reaction and type four is type one diabetes. So why do you, you categorize it in a word called hypersensitive reactions? No one's going to, okay, I don't know. Maybe they will look it up, but it, I looked it up because I was so in, you know, within Braden's case, I looked up every word on that package insert basically. And it says a type four hypersensitivity reaction is type one diabetes and other, other others as well. But it clearly states that on there. And then I did meet a mom who had an MMR package insert that type one diabetes was on there back in the nineties as a adverse reaction. So um, yeah, I just, and I did speak to the aluminum expert, aluminum expert world expert. I reached out to him and he responded to me about that alkaline phosphatate, the yeah. liver enzyme. So he confirmed that he says they do attach to all the aluminum that you, you know, get processed with those vaccines. Well, I can tell you that, you know, I have, I'm embarrassed to say as a pharmacist and I used to call myself a vaccine expert that I had no idea the DTAP could cause type one diabetes. And although I'm embarrassed from it, I'm glad I woke up, but also it's also a reminder, the education that we don't get when it comes to pharmacists and doctors, when it comes to vaccines, we're just taught just to vaccinate, if in doubt, vaccinate, if in doubt, vaccinate. Oh, well, what about, what about type one diabetes? Do do we want to give our patients type one diabetes? Yeah. Seriously. I, I can't believe I never answered that, asked that question. So Thank you for being on today to share this story. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I hope more and more people understand um, the side effects that can happen from vaccines. And they just get appropriate inf- informed consent and do their own research. That's what I want people to do. I, exactly. I did meet an Emmy award-winning producer who wrote about how he's, he believes his son was vaccine injured because he has two sons that were injured right after a vaccine that are now type 1 diabetes, type 1 diabetic. And so he is adamant. And so we've been in contact on and off, you know, I keep him in, I keep him posted on my court case. I keep him posted and he is, you know, he's a big supporter of getting that testing done prior and everything. Absolutely. That's awesome. We need to get the word out, Debbie. So I want you to keep us informed about how your court case goes. Um, You know, 
as you probably know, it's a slow process. Mm-hmm. So keep us updated. I want to have you back on when you have any kind of updates. Um, and I want to thank you. For, I want to thank you for being on and fighting for for your son and for the rights of others. Um, it should be an individual choice. Yes. There shouldn't be mandates. Mm-hmm. Um, schools, especially government schools, should not should not mandate vaccines. We should not be mandated what we have to put into our bodies I agree. at all. We should have complete medical freedom and and, and autonomy over our own bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also interesting to, to see the people that are mandating that say that we do have autonomy over our bodies, but they but they mandate that we put certain things in our bodies. Kind of hypocritical. But as always, I just stick to the liberty side of it. And that mm-hmm. means that no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you should have an individual decision to decide what goes in and out of your body. Yes. And in, yeah. so, you know, our goal of this podcast is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. And mm-hmm. you've helped us realize that goal today, Debbie. So as we wind this podcast up in two sentences, what would you like people to know? To know that when, before you vaccinate your child or your loved one, that you have an option to request the urine test or the blood work and know that you fight for vaccine safety. If you do decide do decide to vaccinate, then think about what you can put in place to help in case of an adverse reaction. That's what I want. And how, I know you're working on a website. Um, Go ahead and and state that website, even though we're working on it. So later on, they can go to it. Okay. We've uh, secured Bradensbill.org. It'll be a site where the bill that I've tried to present to senators and local senators um, will be available to read. And also if anybody has like a type one reaction after vaccines, they'll be able to tell their story on there. And that way we can kind of get, uh, because I've met a lot of people through, even from other countries, Australia, I've met people from over in England that have this same reaction. So I kind of wanted a place where I can consolidate everybody's story. And so hopefully the website will be the bradensbill.org. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it, Debbie. Thank you so much for, for taking charge and helping us realize our goal, which is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. So thank you so much for being on, Debbie. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you, listeners and viewers, for tuning in to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Tune in Thursday to our regularly scheduled midweek podcast, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening.